Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. I'd be willing to bet you will know who I'm talking about without naming any names, without referring to the specific sport, when I say that it's been pretty ubiquitous lately, the, the concerns, the, the uh, conversations, maybe gossip's the word in some cases, but I don't, I don't think it's necessarily gossip, the speculation, the, the conversations happening all over Twitter, in the news, in, in the sports world, about a prominent athlete who is supposedly, apparently, separating from their spouse. And if you, if you pay attention to sports at all, even a little bit, or, or just the news, I guess, how remarkable is it that you know who I'm talking about? It's remarkable how our society can so easily, and let, let's make this about you and me, how you and I so easily can have opinions, thoughts, concerns, have conversations about a neighbor, someone in the news, a celebrity. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a mistake that they've made, a parent mistake or a flaw in them or in their life or something that's broken or, or something that's breaking, like a relationship or some, some kind of financial stress or ruin. And we have the ability to so easily just express our opinion or at work, people... We don't even know the inner person. And yet we can so quickly just conclude, well, this is what I think is going on, or this is, this is what kind of, as an outsider, uh, this is my observation. And so I want to ask this question of you. Is there a mistake you've made? Is there something you've done, a choice that you've made, that you aren't completely free of. It sort of lingers. Maybe on the average day, it's not something you really think about. You're not conscious of it. You know, sort of out of sight, out of mind. But inevitably, there are circumstances. There's something that happens. There's a situation or there's a conversation or certain people. It's not that it comes up in your mind whenever you talk to just anybody, but there's certain, a certain person or people you interact with them, and this is triggered. The memory is triggered. The, the thought comes back. It's that lingering, nagging, haunting thing that you've done. A relationship that was broken, maybe because of something, a, a role that you had or something that you played into. And I want to I talk specifically today about how to forgive yourself. A lot of times when we're seeking God's forgiveness, we're really trying to learn how to forgive ourselves. Man, there's any number of examples I could use from my own life. You know, when you, when you let's just say that the sort of... Um, Lesser dramatic mistakes. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds I could choose from. From, oh, babe, I, I was defensive. I'm sorry. You know, like those kinds of, those kinds of uh, examples. There are two or three 
in my life that quickly come to mind that I, I put in the big category, like really hurtful uh, to someone or to, to maybe a group of people. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the story from the, the earliest one, <laughs> the youngest of, my, of, of the two or three big ones that I can think of. I was 13. Uh, we moved right after I turned 14. So 13, 14 years old. We lived uh, outside of Winchester in a, in a rural spot kind of out in the country on a, a, a dirt road with about five houses, a very modest house that I grew up in, single-story brick, brick ranch home, five houses on that dirt road. Uh, two doors down was a friend who was really my best friend in my childhood. Jerry Sales was his name. And uh, we did everything together. I spent more time with Jerry than any other kid. Uh, we, I mean, the, the, the numbers of times we played football in his side yard or in my backyard or baseball or the friends that we always had over at his house or my house playing sports. Uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. We, I remember watching that movie over and over with Jerry. He rented the first laser disc, this is aging me, of Michael Jackson's Thriller. First time I saw Thriller, Jerry's parents had rented it for him. We watched that over and over. Jerry learned how to do the worm and he, uh, the moonwalk. He taught me how to moonwalk in my basement. Uh, we made, we were kind of pyros. Uh, we, we burned things and melted things. And we built rockets. We were convinced we could design a rocket that would go to space, you know, out of like Pringles cans. And so this is Jerry. This, is my, this was my best friend. And my parents had been saving to move one day and bought a lot on what, uh, in, in what was considered a, a better part of town, let's say. Um, Certainly a pretty neighborhood that we moved to. Uh, certain friends would come to see where we were building the house, and they would say, wow, this is like, you know, all the homes are two-story. My brother and I were going to go from sharing a room to having our own bedrooms. And so this was a super exciting step for us. And two or three times a week in the evening, we'd go as a family to, to the lot to see the house. You know, we watched it, like, come up out of the ground. And once in a while, every couple of weeks, Jerry would ride along with us. And it's interesting how you can look back and think about a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old, in his, his own way of expressing excitement for us. Like, wow, look, all the first floor studs are in. Or the, you know, the gravel. He would say, man, you're, the gravel for your driveway is there. Like, this is cool to see how this. And yet he would, he would always go kind of a little bit quiet. And I could tell, I just knew even as a 13-year-old, like, this is hard for Jerry. You know, we're, we're moving to a, a, a nicer neighborhood. We're leaving his, our neighborhood, where he lived. And, uh, yeah, he just, he, I think he, in such a respectful way, was struggling with this. And then came the week for us to move. We moved on a Saturday. And so that Friday, I remember it well. We, Brian and I were super excited. Mom and Dad had gotten the keys. It was done. The carpet was in. Everything was finished. And we were going to go. We, we did. We went on that Friday night, the night before the move, 
to see the house, like done, completely done. We were so excited. And before we left, Brian and I asked mom, hey, can we, can we sleep in the new house? And she was like, no, there's no furniture, there's no beds. So we get there, and we're running around on the new carpet, and in Brian's room, and my room, and we're like, we could camp here. We'll sleep on the carpet. And mom said, okay, all right, we'll stay the night here. But first thing in the morning, we're going back. You guys are going to help, like, carry boxes, you know, for the movers out of your rooms. And, and we're going to go back and say our goodbyes to Jerry. And so uh, we, we're like, yeah, we'll do early in the morning. Next morning, uh, dad calls mom. I don't think there was a phone. I don't know how that happened before cell phone. I cannot remember. Somehow my mom knew that the movers had finished the night before. And so the moving truck was coming early on Saturday morning. And so we're excited. The moving truck pulls in. We're helping carry our own boxes to our rooms. And uh, it was a long day of unloading the truck and that Saturday turned into Sunday, and Sunday turned into Monday morning with the new school bus from the new side of town. It's crazy. I just turned 52 years old. I was 13. <laughs> and that week turned into another week, and that month turned into another month, and I never went back to that street to say goodbye, not just to the house I grew up in, but to say goodbye to Jerry. <laughs> it's crazy how these things can linger. And I used the word, when I was old enough to, to be able to put words to this, I would use the word haunt. This haunted me as a 14-year-old. Um, isn't it wild how mistakes, uh, we weren't even angry with, it. it's not like we were paying him back for something or we'll show him. We were just excited about our house and how that stuck with me for so long and still to this day. And, you know, I'm going to talk through some of what kind of freed me, really did free me. And yet, just because you're free doesn't mean you don't still feel, you can't still feel the pain or the, the effects of something you chose or something you said. Regret that you can carry. The Apostle Paul says something here in just a few verses that leads to us really coming face to face with what I believe haunts humanity. And it's really a question of identity. What we're talking about today has everything to do with your identity, my identity. When we think about that thing or that circumstance, you might even be searching right now, like, what is it? Is there something in my past? Is there... But then a conversation will happen, or maybe it's during the holidays. Something inevitably will happen that takes you back, and it sort of paralyzes you, and you feel it all over again. The regret you feel in front of your kids because of the divorce. Or something you said to a parent, and the parent's not here any longer. Something you chose financially that no one knows. But deep down, that voice, but God knows. It's that question, what have I done? 
Who have I become? Like, who am I, really? And the real question, the freeing question is, and this is what really matters, is how do I forgive myself? Like, truly find freedom from that thing, that moment. Maybe in your distant past, or maybe your not-so-distant past. Maybe in your present. And so Paul, Paul has written a couple of letters to the church in Corinth. The Corinthians, this, the, you know, first century followers of Jesus. Everybody in the first century is a new follower of Jesus. This is a brand new church that has made some mistakes. They're allowing some behavior that isn't healthy at all. And Paul, in his first letter, has really dealt kind of a heavy blow of rebuke to these Corinthian followers of Jesus. Um, and just as an example, um, the pastor there, the church leaders there, have allowed a case of incest, a mother and son, in the church, you know, in this pagan city, coming out of this pagan culture. And, and Paul is saying, this is not honoring to Jesus. There's an instance where the followers of Jesus in Corinth are getting drunk at the communion table, at the Lord's table. They're so disrespecting, they're so forgetting the power of the cross that we worship our God for and we celebrate regularly that I need to confront my own sin and brokenness and Jesus took it from me. They're so lighthearted about it that they're actually celebrating ahead of the Lord's Supper and, and, and getting drunk. And Paul, this is another example of the kinds of things, he's saying you've lost your worship of God, you're worshiping yourselves and not the one who's freed you. And so Paul has issued this, this series of concerns in his letter, and now he's referring back to that letter when he says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, though I was saddened by this, on the one hand, I see that my letter hurt you, it saddened you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. There's that, that word, this is one of these church words. Uh, it, it can sound like a heavy church word. Repentance kind of has this, I think a lot of us who maybe grew up in church, we hear this word and we think negative, bad, it refers to me being a bad person, or I've got to convert to some kind of, super strict religious lifestyle. When actually that's not what the word means at all. Paul is describing repentance as something beautiful and powerfully transformative for those of us who understand what repentance is and, and actually step toward it and into it, which we're, we're going to get to. Um, but I'm happy now because your sorrow, me saddening you in this letter, actually led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us, by my words, by the apostles. Godly sorrow, this is the last verse, hear this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. It's interesting that Paul is talking about two types of sorrow a sorrow of the soul that haunts you, that causes you to retreat from people, 
that, that, that can cause you to become someone who hides. This is a, a, a sadness or a sorrow or guilt. Guilt is maybe the word. That, that translates as a constant nagging. You're never free from. You're certainly never free to be wholly alive. And that's the, in, alive in every area of life. That's the Old Testament, the old Jewish word shalom was a blessing on people. When you wish someone shalom, you're wishing them the heart of God for wholeness in every part of their life. Shalom means wholeness, financial margin to give, to give to others. Margin in relationships to have time for people. Healthy relationships. You, uh, shalom, wholeness, being fully alive in every part of life means you've, you've dealt with your past or mistakes in such a healthy way. When someone hurts you, you respond appropriately. See, these kinds of lingering guilt and regrets, they, they cause us to retreat into this, this world, this headspace of just not being alive in every part of life. Maybe not in, alive in relationships. Or in some kind of way, you, you've just accepted there's something incomplete about my family. It has something to do with my attitude or, or behavior or things that I've spoken. Regret that I carry. I don't know how to deal with it. And so I guess I'll act like it's just gone or over. This kind of sorrow, this kind of sadness that Paul's referring to, this worldly sorrow that leads to death, it can become a guilt that drives us to things like secrecy or covering up. Covering up, what, you know, why do we do that? We, we, we cover up or hide or we kind of keep something in secret because if we expose it, if we acknowledge this, this thing that haunts us or that lingers, it's an admission to not just something being wrong with me, but maybe there's something wrong in me. And boy, do we live in a world today that is trying to cover up that notion. This identity crisis that we're in as a generation, as a society, just so many problems and so many debates and canceling. And it's, I believe so much of it is rooted in not knowing our identity, not being comfortable with ourselves, or finding our identity in our creator. How could we allow something to be exposed when what it's going to show is that there's something broken in me, something not beautiful? And this worldly sorrow that Paul's referring to that leads to death, it's, it's a guilt that, that keeps us in the space of inaction. It's just, we just... We don't know what to do. We don't know how. I'm just, I'm not going to, I can't change as a person. I can't get away from this thing. I keep being reminded of. And, and so we find ourselves sort of paralyzed, spiritually paralyzed. And then there's godly sorrow. Paul said, and if, if we could just read this again, if we could put this on the screen again. Godly sorrow that, that brings repentance, that leads to salvation. Godly sorrow leads to this change, not harm. So repent. Repent 
Repentance is this church word. We, we, we don't say it much around here like, hey, how's your repentance going? We just we don't walk up to each other and say, have you repented this week? It just sounds so heavy. But repentance, to repent is not only to feel regret, but it's to, re- it's to express regret. You're so comfortable with where you are and how God is presenting himself to you, a God of love and a God of mercy and a God who wants to teach you, not judge you and not condemn you. And so you become comfortable with this, wow, okay, maybe God wants to do something with this hurt or this ugly that is in my past or that is in me. And you feel it and you express it. You're comfortable enough to express this so much so that you desire and you choose to change. Repent means to actually go a different direction. That's the actual meaning. I'm not going to continue in this pattern. I'm not going to continue hiding. I'm not going to continue just burying this behavior or this decision I made. I'm actually going to go this way now. Healthy people. Spiritually healthy people, and, and, and this can happen, this can happen. This could begin for you today. Healthy people are comfortable with this word repentance. They're comfortable with the humility that says, yeah, there's something wrong with me, or, or there's something wrong in me, and I want to see God do something new with it. I want to see God change, make new, make beautiful. This humility, this health, this healthy response is when somebody's comfortable with the knowledge that some things that are broken in me, I may not even fully understand yet. There may be some kind of brokenness in me that I can't actually fully see. And, and so healthy, so comfortable with this idea of God's love and what God wants to do in, in, this, in, in spite of the horrible decision or the broken relationship that this person's comfortable from godly sorrow with trusted friends around them, maybe, maybe two or three people in your life who you're comfortable with them kind of acknowledging, helping you see maybe a pattern in you. Or something that you say, or a decision, or maybe, maybe a choice that you made, that you've been burying. They're actually thankful, like they see, like, hey, when you point this out, when you bring this to my attention, it's actually helping me. Salvation, you know, that's another one of these words, it, it, it can be kind of the spiritual church cliche kind of word, but salvation literally means to be rescued from harm. And that this godly sorrow, when Paul confronts and challenges and says, no, the way of Jesus has called you to something so much, so much, so transcendent from the way you're living your life. You're going to find freedom. You're actually being rescued from harm because we perpetuate the harm. That's the irony in burying and hiding, being afraid when we try to conceal that thing or we, even in our own minds. You may not be aware you're trying to hide it from anybody else. You're just, trying to, you're just trying to stuff it down so you don't have to look at it or think about it. A lot of times, <clears throat> we're just trying to hide it from ourselves. 
In salvation, when Paul talks about the salvation of Jesus, he's talking about the freedom from the harm we're causing ourselves. Paul goes on to say that this person who experiences godly sorrow, the sadness of the soul that, that leads to, I want to be free of this. I want to speak life. I want God to teach me from this broken relationship. I want to have healthy relationships and I want the margin that's going to free me and, and, and make me available to help others. <clears throat> it leads to, if we, if we took the time to see, Paul goes on to say that this desire for justice, defending others, this ability to love well is the result of godly sorrow. That the sadness you feel for the decision you made or the choice or that thing that you said or the words you wish you could take back or you wish you could have five more minutes with the person who's no longer here so you could somehow undo the hurt or the pain. That there's this such a thing as godly sadness that leads to freedom and life, becoming comfortable with, yeah, I'm broken. We, we, we easily say, well, I'm only human. What are we saying when we say we're only, we're, we're saying, well, humans are broken. There's something imperfect about us. We say things like nobody's perfect. We acknowledge this about society. Society's broken. There's something flawed about planet Earth, about hum humanity. But when it comes to me, when it comes to you, we want to somehow hide or pretend that it's not really there. And we perpetuate, we continue, we extend the harm that's being done in our own soul by trying to cover it up. And Paul's saying there's a godly sorrow. And if you'll confront it, if you'll look at it honestly and say, yeah, I think something's, there's a, there's, there's a marring, a flaw in me. There's, there's something broken inside of me, and I'm going to trust God enough. I'm going to trust the words of Jesus enough to do something with this that turns into beauty. I can't reverse this. I can't undo it. When I stare it in the face, I only feel worse about myself. But Jesus says he can take the ugly and, and transform it somehow into something good. How does that happen? Do I really trust that? And when you don't trust it, your only result is to just stuff it and bury it and conceal and act like, hey, I'm working hard. Look what I'm doing in my job. Hey, this, this friendship's pretty good. And we live in a world where we're trying to find peace in all kinds of different identities so that we feel settled about who we are instead of allowing godly sorrow to, to, to have the effect on us that it's intended to. You know, there are examples, and I, I know I've done this. There's one instance I remember years ago where you don't want to really say it, like something keeps the words from coming out of your mouth. There's this thing. Man, it bugs me. There's circumstances, situations that happen, and it just brings it to my mind again, and then I can't sleep again, and then I'm, I'm in this kind of pretending, and Brad's, Brad talked about it on a Sunday morning, and I, I don't know how to get the words out. And so there's such a thing as hinting about it. You, you want to be so free you want to get the words out somehow. You don't know how, so you sort of hint to a trusted friend or maybe a pastor. Or you, you hope maybe you kind of get caught or the story comes up because there's something, maybe, maybe it's subconscious to you, but you want to be free of it. 
your psyche tells you, I can't speak it because then I'm saying I'm broken. And there's this ugly, but there's also this part of you that wants it to come out because you want to be free. And so you find yourself hinting about this shame or this thing, hoping that maybe even a friend will say, something's up, something you keep. And your, your hope, you, you kind of put them in a space where they have to guess. <laughs> it's silly what we do. This is the silliest stuff that we do that we're capable of. James speaks of this. Just a simple verse here, James 5.16. Make this your common practice. The brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus is writing this. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may live together whole and healed. James is saying there is a healing that happens in the soul in you moving more into shalom, into whole life, when you actually speak your brokenness or your shame. Now, this doesn't mean when he says to each other. He's not saying, hey, come up here on stage one by one. We're going we're gonna to just bear in front of everybody. Or even in, in front of a large group. This is talking about people you've built trust with. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's someone in, in your group, your, your midweek group here at Dulles, where you've just built a sweet friendship or there's trust. You know, hey, I think I can, I, I know this person is going to respond in love. I know already I can project. I, the love of Jesus is going to be the response to me when I say this ugly. When I can't look at myself when I can't acknowledge it to myself, I know this person well enough that they're going to respond with beauty. James is saying there's something healing, and you only experience this healing that moves you more into the space of God's life and truth where you can say, yeah, I'm broken. We're all broken. We're only hum- I'm only human. And that means for me, I, I chose this thing. And look at the story that God is creating in me now. I'm not perfect, but I am being perfected by the perfection of Jesus. There's a love. There's, it, it's, it's remarkable to me how God can take something ugly in your past and use it to help others. It's still just, it it's, boggles my mind. Wow, but that's supposed to be concealed. It, that's that's it was hurtful. It was ugly. Somehow the resurrection, the Jesus walking out of the tomb and offering us. We sang it in our first song this morning. I came out of the grave. I will, I'll come out of the grave. I can never remember lyrics. It's that I'm alive in a space, an area of my life where I was dead. There was death. And I was trying to, it smelled so bad. It looked so bad. I was trying to hide it, hide it, hide it, not deal with it. And Jesus says, confess it, bring it out in the open, give it to me, and I'll forgive you, and I'll bring life and good out of this. When I was 14, uh, my mom, my mom could tell, my gosh, I just turned 52, this is crazy, this happened so long ago. She could tell that this was nagging at me. She would ask me, have you talked to Jerry? You see Jerry at school? No, no, I haven't had a chance to kind of see him. 
We don't run into each other. We're not on the same hall, you know, that, that, that kind of conversation. And I remember one night, I don't know if it was a year, I don't know how long, it was many, many months, if not a year. She said, I think you ought to call Jerry. And I did. You know, 14-year-old boys, they don't talk about fear. They're not afraid of anything. They don't cry. They don't, you know, you're just... But man, I, that, making that phone call was so hard. I don't know. I can't remember how long I procrastinated it, if it was weeks or months. But I finally called Jerry. I thought it was like I was standing in front of a firing squad or something. It was just the worst phone call to make. I was like, hey, man, you know, uh, think about you. And it led to, would you want to come? up to the house and spend the night and hang out. And, and what I remember is, you know, Jerry and I discovered Atari together in the early days, you know, when we were seven, eight, nine years old, space invaders and pitfall and asteroids. I mean, it was just in each other's basements. And here we are in my new house playing video games together. And he's telling me about his life and whatever hurt or pain, and I know it was hurtful. I know it was. We had... Uh, a really weird, awkward 14-year-old boy conversation, 15, whatever age we were. But what, what is so clear in my mind was how happy he was to be at our new house and playing video games again and hearing about my brother. And, and man, just early in my life, at that age, early teenage years, just thinking, why did I wait so long? Why didn't I deal with this? Why? Oh my gosh, it's like I just felt free. And God wants you to be free. He wants us to be holy, more holy and freely the friend that you actually want to be. Not the friend who is trying to be a good friend, but back in your mind's that voice of that thing you did to that person. I can't, how can I, I'm a hypocrite. He wants you free of that. The parenting mistakes, man, Amy and I know what it is to carry regret as parents. And God wants us leaning into our imperfections. When your kids get to a certain age, you actually acknowledge them. You tell your kids. It's so healthy for your kids to hear you apologize. It's one, of the, it's one of the great things a parent can model to their kids is how to apologize well. We just pretend we want to be the image of the mom or the dad. or We end up chasing career success so much because we, a lot of us, a lot of times we're trying to bury who we don't want to acknowledge that we are, that we've been. Okay, so here's how we conclude our time together. Just a few, men. I could do this so quickly, this could seem simple, but man, this is profound. We become free, we become alive by first looking at, acknowledging to yourself that there's something about you, there's something in you that's broken. This is the story of Scripture. God made us to be perfect. He didn't break things. He didn't lose control. He made a creature not giraffes, uh, not anything in the animal world, not in biology, not in the solar system. He made humans 
with the ability to choose what pleases him, what his whole life, or choose something different, this other kind of life that we think is better when we're in control. And that broke humanity. That choice left us broken. You can find freedom first by acknowledging to yourself there's something in me broken. I don't like the sound of that. I don't want it to be true. God doesn't want that to be true. He sent his son so that you wouldn't be broken. Acknowledging that there's something in me ugly or something incomplete, and I'm going to stop hiding. I'm going to stop covering up. We've been covering up since the beginning of humans. In the garden, Adam and Eve, they knew, they heard the sound of God. That's the picture that God gives us. It's this picture that we would be able to grasp of his presence walking in the garden. And Adam and Eve hide. <laughs> we, we mock them. That's ridiculous. What, are they hiding behind a tree or rocks or you're, you're trying to hide from God and yet we live so much of our lives trying to hide from God. Stop hiding and stop covering up. Looking, acknowledging, admitting there's something in me that needs help. There's something I need God to touch. And then you become alive by saying it to God. Allowing the forgiveness of Jesus. We want to say, yeah, but I have to work my way back. I have to earn. And Jesus just repeatedly, the apostles repeatedly, all of Paul's writings know that you actually can't earn it. You actually can't work or do anything for God's favor. He loves you. You're his daughter. You're his son. He's, he loves you. He's taken your guilt to the cross. He took your pain. He took the ugly. Yeah, but this ugly, this moment, he took that to the cross. Saying it to God, I've wronged you. I've not been who you made me to be. I regret this. God, Jesus, make me whole. Make me new. And then we become fully alive by telling someone that cares for you, someone you trust. There is power in confessing. There's power in putting words to. It's, it's like we're, we're fully releasing it from our soul when we say, I'd like to tell a friend. I'd like to tell you this thing, this regret, this guilt. And if you can't think of a friend, if maybe you're newer here to Dulles, or maybe, you, maybe you're not in a midweek group yet, or just those trusted relationships, you, you, you're not sure, well, where do I go? Um, email the church, and I promise you, we'll keep it confidential. Confidential at DullesChurch.org. Uh, maybe your confession begins with an email, like, hey, I, I, th I think I'd like to talk about something that I've never said or I've never acknowledged. Here's my prayer today, Jesus. I know I cannot forgive myself until I allow you to forgive me. I choose to allow you to see the ugly. <laughs> you already see it. But I choose to allow you to see it. I've tried to hide and ignore it so I, I can appear to be whole and good and beautiful. But you are the one that creates beauty. Do that in me. Give me the courage and the voice to speak the wrong to a trusted person. I repent. I choose, I desire 
new and whole. I repent, Jesus, and need you and ask you to make me free and to make me alive.